0: Because it's a matter of finite human beings trying to understand the infinite reality of God, good theology creates more options. Right. Good, cre- good theology brings more to the table. Right. Um, it's both reflecting that reality of God and also reflecting this human vocation to be creative, yeah, yeah. To, do, to do the genuinely new thing. You're listening to Crafting Theology, presented by the St. Louis University Department of Theological Studies. On this podcast, we talk to scholars about the key life experiences that shape the direction of their research. We hope these conversations illuminate both the how and the why
1: of theological studies
0: in a changing world.
1: Hi, I'm Jeff Wicks, Assistant Professor of Early Christianity in the Department of Theological Studies at St. Louis University. Joining me for this episode is Isaac Artin. Isaac, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me today. It's good to be here. So um, I'm going to start with the icebreaker. Um, Tell me about where you grew up. Okay. Uh, I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan uh, on the Keweenaw Peninsula,
0: which is the little thumb on the northern part of Michigan that sticks out into Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's me and Canada and the Arctic Circle, and that's that's how far north we are.
1: What's the religious landscape of the, the UP? Uh, yes, called?
0: so I grew up in the Lutheran Church uh, in the ELCA. A lot of the things that I did and the people that I knew, I knew from our congregation there, mm-hmm. uh, which was both pretty close-knit and also had people spread out around a, a fair Fair bit of space, mm-hmm. which is normal in in a rural place, mm-hmm. um, and they really taught me quite a bit mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. Um, what it meant to be part of a community, what it meant to um, be what it meant to be Lutheran, and to mm-hmm. have a vocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started mm-hmm. started talking in terms of vocation when. Uh, my mother and other congregation members would would talk in that way mm-hmm. um, so the the church that I grew up in was a, an important part of mm-hmm. of my my development and, and I, I would identify it as you know, really really where I got my start mm-hmm. in in mm-hmm. all the work that
1: I do today what would you say was the role theology played in that that venue was it a kind of an intellectual was there an intellectual life to it uh, was it was it anti-intellectual um, How did the kind of academic study of theology, even if you wouldn't have called it that, play into that culture?
0: What I knew when I was growing up was that we were people who worshipped and that we were people who ate together and that we were people who served together. Um, And so every year we were packing... uh, different kinds of donated items with Lutheran World Relief um, we were hosting dinners we had funeral lunches we had special celebrations and um, one of the one of my favorites was the the all church birthday celebration and um, they asked a person to make a make a cake and decorate a table for a month of the year and then they, everybody who had birthdays in that mm-hmm. month would meet at the table and celebrate their birthdays together on on one particular Sunday. Is that an so,
1: ethnic tradition, or I've a... not seen it anywhere yeah, right. else, actually, okay. other than
0: my my little church in, in Calumet, Michigan. And um, and I loved that, and and that was, that was how I came to approach, uh, being part of a people like mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we worship together and we ate together and we served together. Mm-hmm. And I I was certainly aware of Bible studies and and other sort of teaching times. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, what I took away from, mm-hmm. from my early life in the church was was much more the, the doing life together
1: parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you come to study or come to recognize there was a thing called theology that you could go to a school and study? Did you major in that in undergrad or philosophy or religious studies? or?
0: No, so my background is in cultural anthropology. Okay. Uh, my current explanation right. of myself uh, and my academic pathway uh, for the last several years is that I am unapologetically an anthropologist okay. um, by which I mean that I no longer apologize for not having been a philosopher uh, before coming into theology okay. um, that, that my, my training in anthropology gives me a certain set of questions and a certain way of looking at things that that I find valuable right, mm-hmm. in, in theology. As for how I picked it up, um, I was working in youth ministry. Uh, I was actually here in St. Louis working as a youth minister. Um, between 2005 and 2012. And along the way, I noticed that people were passing me books of a certain kind. Mm-hmm. They were They were not the kinds of books that were sort of how-to manuals for youth mm-hmm. ministers. They were much more books by and for theologians. And along the way, I also started to notice that what really gave me energy in the work that I was doing was when students of mine would ask theological questions and I would have to say... I can't answer that right now, but Mm -hmm. I will find out. Um, And so we made a habit of keeping a list, a running list of questions that students had and answering a couple of them every time we met. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And it became the kind of ministry where we were absolutely unafraid of any question that a student would ask. Mm -hmm. And as a result students asked really excellent questions because they asked the things that were really on their minds. Right, because right. they knew that they would be taken seriously and they knew that I would do the work that it took to find out, here's what the church has said about this, here's how we talk about this here in our congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I started to notice that what I was doing was teaching theology.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I started to think that I should probably pay attention to that mm-hmm. as... Something that was more than just a piece of the work that I was doing, but how could that be the work that I did?
1: Mm -hmm. So I guess I'll just open it broadly. Talk me through your current project. Sure. So, what I'm working on for my dissertation has to do with
0: theological anthropology, that is, the theological account of human nature and human fulfillment, and the role that the concept of property and possession play in understanding what we are as human and how we are human in a, in a theological sense. Uh, I landed on the area that I study by reading letters back and forth between British missionaries who were working in Canada in the areas that were administered by the Hudson's Bay Company, mm-hmm. so mostly what's now Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the site turns out to be the city center of Winnipeg, mm-hmm. um, I, I recently discovered, um, and they were working on top of each other, and I wanted to know something about their relationship between the missionaries and the company, mm-hmm. because I was seeing, as I was knocking on doors of missionary archives, I was finding these letters where these particular British missionaries who were Church of England from the Church Missionary Society were complaining about how how dependent they were on the Hudson's Bay Company, and Very how limited they felt in the kind of work that they could do, mm-hmm. because they had to keep the company happy while they were doing their, their, their ministry work. And I thought, well, isn't this interesting? What I could do as a research project was to look at how religious views of humanity interact with economic views of humanity, and how did these... Many decades of contact between missionaries and merchants mm-hmm. changed the way that the missionaries talked about mm-hmm. their work and mm-hmm. the concepts and metaphors that they used. Mm-hmm. And then, when I got deeper into the archive, I discovered that no, these missionaries were talking in economic terms and with these kinds of concepts and languages mm-hmm. long before they interacted with the company.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, the question for me became when did that happen and why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did missionaries end up taking the language of economics as it was emerging in the 18th and 19th centuries into their theological account of human life? So this is and what did that than, do to the theology?
1: So this is bigger than just their relationship with this company. This is a theological lexicon. So yes, speak. very much so. And I was interested
0: in how the missionaries and the theologians used that to make meaning in in what they were saying. Mm-hmm. So there's my that's my training in anthropology. Mm-hmm. I'm always interested in how people make meaning mm-hmm. and how they make things meaningful. Mm-hmm. And this became a, a really interesting way of saying, how do economic concepts and how does economic language become mm-hmm. theologically significant?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And along the way, talking about property and possession, how does this really distinctively British vision of private property mm-hmm. and how it is generated and accumulated and protected um, become theologically significant? How does, how does a culturally favored way of thinking become a theologically important one? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so property became this, this, this theological marker because it allowed people to see who had taken on what the missionaries prescribed oh, for them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it, it served as a kind of a marker for who then believed what the missionaries were telling them. So and it's so,
1: concrete, yes. in a way, shared. yeah, Right, and
0: and also because you, you can't see what's inside somebody's head. You can't right. see what they believe, but you can see what they display. Right. And right. so if you tell them that what they own and display is a significant part of, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll set a... I describe it as proposing a norm for Christian communities, that Christian communities are settled and agricultural, Mm -hmm. and that's how the British sort of make land into property Mm -hmm. um, throughout their colonial project, but also how they've taken on the logic of it. They are the Mm -hmm. the sort of people who who generate products by their labor, Mm -hmm. who accumulate them into wealth, who Mm -hmm. display them in their... Uh, clothing and in their imagery <laughs> um, and who also then can be philanthropists. Right, they can also right. then you know give some portion of that in a structured way right. um, And so what ends up happening is they've, they've got this gradient of human development mm-hmm. that that's understood mm-hmm. but one of the ways that you show where you are on this gradient is by the
1: things that you own and the things you display. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, um, the way you describe it, I almost think of the language of branding, like it's a personal uh, uh, set of signs you're adopting to signify to people outside of you that I am uh, adopting these these theological values. Yeah,
0: certainly. And not only branding, but also a kind of formation Mm -hmm. um, that you become the kind of person who has these things and Mm -hmm. you you become the kind of person who displays Mm -hmm. um, humanity in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a whole set of objects that the missionaries are ordering in from England Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting one of the pieces of my dissertation looks at their shopping lists essentially to say what things did they insist had to come from England what was it important that they display not just oh I have a coat and any sort of coat will work but no I have an English great coat in in this particular style and fabric and it marks me in a way that say adopting a deerskin coat or something else more
1: From the local area, would not have done.
0: Right. Uh, in, Interesting. This, in these missionaries' view.
1: Um, I think one of the, the things that really struck me about the project is um, you know, I think in our department, and our department is a microcosm of uh, the kind of the academic study of theology right now, there's this constant uh, kind of debate between religious studies, theology, uh, are you a theologian, scholar of religion, historian of religion? history of Christianity, and your dissertation, um, as much as any I've seen, really does kind of, um, I almost want to say throw the, or just, it kind of jumbles these categories, because it is a deeply, there's a deeply historical element, you're in archives, it's clear also your background in anthropology, but there's also a real kind of constructive theological element to it. So, um... I wonder if you, could, if you could reflect on that and just how you see yourself sitting with respect to these disciplines of theology, religious studies, history, anthropology. Um, where do you kind of map yourself? When I think about what I am as an academic, as
0: a scholar, I tell people that I am a historical theologian. And by that I mean that I study both the history of theology, Mm -hmm. so where theological commitments came from, Mm -hmm. what kind of cultural forces and historical events pushed on them so that they came out the way that they did Mm -hmm. uh, at the time that they did, and I study, at the same time, the role of theology in history. Mm-hmm. So how then do people's theological commitments shape and inform the actions that they take and the things that they want for themselves and mm-hmm. the proposals they make about how people ought to live together in the world. Mm-hmm. And and I do this because, as a historical theologian, I'm a historical theologian. Mm-hmm. So I emphasize the theologian part mm-hmm. there, and this conversation was most of our year in the first year that that my Mm -hmm. colleagues and I came into the PhD program Mm -hmm. we were we spent a lot of time debating um, with uh, Ken Parker our our professor at the time what it was to be a historical theologian and what it was to do historical theology Mm -hmm. and where I came down on it was that I am a theologian that what I am after is making proposals about how people should live together in the world, mm-hmm. based on commitments about God and how everything else is related to God.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I do that by deeply studying the history of these theological commitments mm-hmm. and their role in shaping historical events and, and historical reality mm-hmm. so that I can say, this is how these commitments came out. Mm-hmm. But there were questions that were not asked at the time because other questions were being asked. Mm -hmm. And if I can identify the process by which those questions are selected or which ones present themselves as natural to the discipline of theology at a time... Why
1: this and not that. Why
0: this and not that, exactly. I can then suggest as a theologian ways to reconfigure.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so... With the dissertation project, what I'm aiming to do is to historicize and, in a way, Mm denaturalize the connection between Christian theology and certain forms of economic arrangement Mm -hmm. Um, so that I can say these connections have a history,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: but that history is not just a part of the fabric of reality. It's a a history. It's contingent.
2: Mm -hmm. It
0: reflects the kind of... Decisions that people were making and the kinds of options that presented themselves at the time. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: So then, that in the constructive move, I can say now that we now that we have the story in front of us, how could we ask these questions again in a new way? Mm-hmm. How could we reconfigure these components mm-hmm. in a way that brings in
1: new options for for this kind of theological mm-hmm. thinking? Um, okay, I want to ask. Um, sort of some practical questions about the process of writing a dissertation. Um, the writing process is always interesting to me because there's so many ways to do it. It's so painful, and yet um, it seems to be a sort of pain that a lot of us are addicted to. Um, so a basic question, what do you wish you'd known about writing a dissertation before you began to write your dissertation?
0: I specifically wish that I'd known about writing a dissertation in the way that I'm writing it mm-hmm. that I needed to spend some more time practicing writing narrative writing story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of my coursework in the PhD program and t- to a certain extent my coursework in the master's degree was argumentative writing right. and and right. often having a research question and making a point about it and you know bringing in the counterpoints and and that kind of academic writing is a really specific mm-hmm. thing and right. requires right. a really specific set of skills. When I came into writing the dissertation, I came into it writing as a microhistorian, okay. as somebody who writes narrative mm-hmm. about how people on a very small scale are making meaning mm-hmm. and how the events of their lives and the situations that they put themselves in reflect the broader historical concerns and currents of their time. Mm-hmm. So it requires this kind of eye for narrative and detail mm-hmm. that I found I had to relearn as I started writing the dissertation. Yeah, yeah. Because the first chapter that I started writing is this extended narrative of one of these missionaries and his mm-hmm. efforts to mm-hmm. create the kind of settled and and agricultural and propertied community that he was envisioning as the norm for Mm -hmm. for christians Mm -hmm. and i found myself having a really difficult time actually getting into that mode of storytelling Mm -hmm. so that was a thing that that i wish i'd thought about in the in the Mm -hmm. beginning was about how my method would demand adjustments to the the writing style that i was accustomed to
1: i think um I was actually struck by that in your prospectus that it has this very narrative quality to it which I really I really enjoyed um what have you found to be difficult your teaching I want to ask you about your teaching in a second but hold off on that but just in terms of sheer practicalities of the economics of time you're teaching um you're involved in the department you're sitting down to do a podcast interview and you're also uh, supposed to be writing I don't know if you're on the job market yet um how what what have you found to be the most most difficult about balancing all of this? The most difficult
0: thing so far is is the time question and is the especially the matter of creating boundaries around writing time that can be fairly ruthlessly enforced mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because teaching will expand into whatever time you allow it to. Right. Um, and so I'm very careful about my specific lecture prep and lesson planning. Um, that goes into a particular block of time that mm-hmm. I've been fairly successful at containing it mm-hmm. in. But emails to students or, or looking up things or reflecting back on what went well or didn't on a particular right. day, right. you it's hard to prevent those kinds of thoughts right. from just slipping into right. other time. Right, right, right. Um, and so having a schedule that I can really stick to. Yeah. Um, and and picking the right place to write uh, yeah. can also be kind of a delicate art.
1: Where do you like to write? Um, I have
0: I found I cannot write very well at home um, because all of my stuff and Netflix are there, <laughs> and that that is not conducive to writing. Um, I find it sometimes a bit difficult to write in my office because it's too quiet. Mm-hmm. So where I've done most of my writing has been at Collie's coffee house across the street from campus uh, thus far. I'm, I'm typically there two or three days a week with the laptop. Yeah. I hold my office hours there so I can I can talk to students there right right um, I'm, I'm seriously considering giving them an acknowledgement in the dissertation <laughs> um, because at that point they'll deserve it right
1: right um, Yeah you should do it. Um, are there things about the process of writing the dis- dissertation that you thought would be difficult that you've actually found to be easier than you thought they would be It's okay if there aren't.
0: I really enjoy the kind of mundane note-taking mm-hmm. that comes with analyzing archival sources mm-hmm. so I spent six weeks a couple of summers ago in the archive in Birmingham England mm-hmm. where the Church Missionary Society has all their papers. Mm-hmm. Looking at the journals and the letters and the annual reports and the published documents that these people at this Northwest Canada mission produced, mm-hmm. and and I really enjoy the process of sitting down with the photographs that I took that summer and just making a, a timeline of on this day this person said this thing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's been a it's been a u- useful practice as I said for the storytelling aspect, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but something that I expected to be kind of a grind. I really do enjoy actually mm-hmm. reading the documents, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mostly because I think it's it's surprisingly intimate to mm-hmm. read a thing that yeah. somebody wrote with their hand right, right. Uh, and to, to have a sense for what their handwriting looks like and the kinds of things they notice and yeah. the, the doodles that they make in the margins. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've, I've discovered that while I expected that to be kind of a painful, mm-hmm. time-consuming project, that I really enjoy it.
1: Um, I'm curious about, um, kind of the, the, I'll just, I'll be transparent here. So the, uh, kind of culture I grew up in, missionaries were basically, they were the highest form of, mm-hmm. of Christians. Did you, was it similar in the community in which you grew up and connected to that? How, how have your views of missionaries changed through this, this research?
0: So actually, my grandparents on my father's side were part of the Lutheran Mission New Guinea okay. uh, in the 1960s. Wow. Uh, so my father spent several years there uh, while they were serving there. Uh, my aunt was born there uh, on on Papua New Guinea. And so I had this this family history of family members who had been working with the mission mm-hmm. they were they were mostly support personnel my, my grandmother was a nurse and a teacher mm-hmm. uh, my grandfather would run the, the mission store run the mm-hmm. plantations or, mm-hmm. or do some of the, the more uh, construction and administrative work and um, but they were also deeply involved with the missionaries who were on the ground. Yeah, they were they were yeah. definitely a part of the mission. Yeah. And so I grew up with their stories. Okay. And knowing people who had been in those situations of, of going to a new place and announcing, you know, we we, we have these things to say mm-hmm. about what human life really is right, and, right. and how it relates to God and, and and how we can share the truth of what we know mm-hmm. in in a way that addresses people's physical needs and a way that addresses people's needs for uh, meaningful stories and belonging and and Mm. care for each other. Um, So I grew up in a family and in a community that deeply respected people who who would do that work. Sure. Today I I recognize that there that there's a complicated story behind Mm. any sort of encounter where one person goes to another and says, I have a message for you that will change your life, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I and I recognize that there are ways in which the the say the British missionaries that I'm working on were heavy-handed mm-hmm. in their presentation of their faith and were very reluctant to learn really anything at all from <laughs> the people that they went to that they went to preach to and how they could how these nineteenth-century missionaries could reconcile in their heads. Um, the the love of Christ that they were offering with the kind of serious condemnation of how people understood mm-hmm. the world as they were and, mm-hmm. and you know their 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 real irritation at mm-hmm. what people didn't know or what they what they were reluctant to accept <laughs> uh, the, one of the things that drew me to this project was noticing the kind of stubbornness on the part of the missionaries mm-hmm. um, and so I recognized the the complications in that missionary story, but nevertheless, I because of my history with it, have recognized the the significance of of what missionaries are trying to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm interested and have been for some years in articulating a kind of missionary theology that is um that is life-giving mm-hmm. uh, in the way that the gospel should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think that's my, that's my story there. You know, I, yeah. I, I can do the critical work at this point that I was not able to do when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, my experience of my family tells me that you know, I, I can't get on board with the you know, missionaries are all bad uh, narrative either. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so I, what I'm always aiming for is the kind of nuanced story uh-huh. that gets at the history, that gets at the culture, that gets at
1: what people are up to and and what they care. Did your dissertation develop out of a specific course? I don't,
0: I don't recall right off the top of my head yeah. if it did. It's it's been much more. Uh, It's been a bit more organic, Mm -hmm. um, realizing that as I would be writing one thing for one class, I'd realize um, this is what I wanted to write about the entire time. I I, I have this habit when I write a paper, when I wrote a paper when I was in coursework, of midway through, usually about two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through, there would be a paragraph or maybe just a (laughs) sentence that I would look back on and realize... That's what I was writing about. That's what I wanted to write right. this paper about. Right. right, And would set it aside, and, and a number of those got folded into the, the questions that I started to ask yeah. for the dissertation. Yeah, um, And it, it's been refining throughout that process, yeah. um, and especially through going to the archive and reading carefully mm-hmm. uh, while in that space mm-hmm. and recognizing, oh, I, I was asking a good question when I came in, mm-hmm. I'm asking a better question after yeah. a week in the archive, after six weeks in the archive. Yeah,
1: I think this has come out um, in a number of the questions, and, and right there at the end. But I'll I'll go ahead and ask it explicitly. What's the so what of the dissertation? What's the what's the real kind of uh, import you see of what you're of what you're doing?
0: The real import for me, especially in this process of historicizing and denaturalizing theological commitments around economics is to say that there isn't just one way of organizing the economic side of the world we live in. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And that was true at the time. One of the pieces of the dissertation is a set of comparison cases to show that the way that these missionaries narrated property and possession and its significance for Christians was not the only way they could have told that story. And I think the idea of articulating the alternative, Mm -hmm. showing that the theological commitments came out the way that they did, requires me to say then this was not the only option right This was right. not the only story that was that was floating. Right, right. This was not the only set of commitments that could have come out of this right. to then raise the questions. I, I think good theology because it's a matter of finite human beings trying to understand the infinite reality of God, good theology creates more options right Good cre- good theology brings more to the table right um, it's both, reflecting that reality of God and also reflecting this human vocation to be creative, yeah, yeah. To, do, to do the genuinely new thing. Yeah. And I think that's the so what. It's to avoid being locked into the kind of is-ought question, especially on, on economic questions, and mm-hmm. um, that the, the way we have it is the way it should, should be or must be. Um, but that it it raises alternatives. It lets people look and say, Mm -hmm. maybe there
1: is something we could do differently. Right. All right. Thank you, Isaac. This has been really interesting. Yeah, thanks very Um, much, Jeff. I can't wait to see the, the book one day. Thanks for
0: listening to our podcast. Please subscribe to Crafting Theology on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, leave us a review. This podcast was produced and edited by Craig Sanders and Mitchell Stevens of the SLU Theology Digital Communications Team. For more information on the St. Louis University Department of Theological Studies programs and faculty, visit our website, slu.edu theology.